Welcome back or welcome to Grateful and Full of Greatness. I'm your host, Mark Lucini. On this podcast, I sit down with guests who, in my opinion, live their lives with the pursuit of greatness in mind. This platform allows me to discuss and to explain strategies that go into reaching peak performance. This is episode number 22. My guest, Brian Kane. Brian was my very first mental coach. We met when I was a junior in college at Yale. Since then, I've developed a phenomenal relationship with him because he lives with constant high energy, empathy, and enthusiasm. Brian remains a lead authority inside the realm of mental performance. He has worked with Fortune 500 companies, world-class athletes and teams, executives and professionals inside almost every professional sports league. His client list and list of achievements seem endless. He is the creator of the Mental Performance Mastery Coaching Certification course, remains a best-selling author, speaker, and highly sought-after mental coach and consultant. For more information, check out his website, briancain.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N.com. I'm stoked for this conversation. Brian, thanks for making the time. Mark, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me here. And I appreciate the nice introduction. And I hope that we can expand on that introduction by your listeners saying that was the best podcast I've ever listened to because he gave me strategy that I can use to close the gap from where I am to where I want to be. To me, the only accolade I care about is what am I doing today to help other people get, become the best version of them? Thank you, Brian. And, and before we go into deeper between our relationship and around mindset, let's start off where it started for you um, before mental performance coaching. Uh, what and who were some of your earliest memories and influences from growing up and your early adult life? Yeah, I mean, hands down, the first positive influence, I think, in my life was my high school football coach, John Allen. And, you know, he was a coach who he would put quotes up on the locker room wall, things that I still remember, like it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. I think it was Paul Bear Bryant. And he put up these quotes. And at the end of the year, he'd always take them down and throw them away. And I remember I was a quarterback my sophomore year, started some games, some I didn't. And I remember at the end of the year, I was, it happened to be in the locker room. He was taking all those down. I said, hey, coach, what do you do with those? I said, God, just throw them away. I said, can I have them? I took them home and I put them up in my room. And that was the start of my mental performance journey is I started to feed myself with these positive, positive mindsets. I started to feed myself with quotes and, and stories that he would tell. And, you know, as a high school athlete playing baseball, basketball, and football in a small town, it's like of Williamstown, Massachusetts, not so far from Yale. It's like being the best snowboarder in Mexico, right? You're, you're, you're good, but not on a world scale. You're good in your small town scale. So I go to the University of Vermont to on a baseball scholarship and I'm college baseball's biggest failure. And that's why I think I'm now college baseball's most sought after consultant is because when I went there, I had a great work ethic. I had a great attitude. Uh, I just focused on the wrong things. I focused on the outcome, not the process. It focused on the non-controllables versus the controllables. And I cared way too much about other people said or what other people thought and didn't even have a process. So I went on a journey after I had shoulder surgery my junior year to find out what was it I would have I would have liked to have known that would have helped me. And it wasn't mechanical. It wasn't a strength and conditioning thing. It was more of a, a whole mental process. And I went back to a day, my, my sophomore year of college, I'm playing in the New England Collegiate Baseball League. My roommate is a student athlete, baseball player at Dartmouth College. And he has a book next, you know, in our room, but we had, there was two beds in the room. We're staying with a host in Connecticut. And he was reading the book, The Mental Game of Baseball. And I kind of laughed. I'm like, Mental Game of Baseball, what is this? By Harvey Dorfman. And I picked it up and I couldn't put it down. And that was the start of kind of like the mental game of baseball path. So I remember then the next day that changed my life. And I think one of the key messages to take off of this podcast, Mark, is 
one day, one relationship, one podcast, one book can completely change the trajectory of your life. And for me, that day was July 4th, 2000. I'm rehabbing a shoulder surgery between my junior and senior year of college. I'm working as an RA at the University of Vermont, and then I'm responsible for six kids who came from high school. They were in high school still from Alaska to Vermont to intern at IBM. So that we had the July 4th weekend off and they said, Hey, Kaner, like we're from Alaska, man. We've never been to Boston. Could you take us down there for the holiday? So sure, let's go. So I drive these six high schoolers from Alaska and me, we're going down to Boston to kind of, you know, they want to see Nathaniel hall and all the things down there. And I want to go to Fenway park and across the street from Fenway park is a Barnes and Noble 600 West Boylston street. It's on the campus of Boston university. And I walk in with my friend, Mark from Alaska. Cause he wants to send his mom a postcard 2000 glick. There's no cell phones back then. So he gets the postcard, sends it to his mom. And as I'm in there, I go to the baseball section of the Barnes and Noble across from Fenway. And there's a book heads up baseball. I grab the book, I pull it out. And the book has these black boxes that you basically read to, to get the cliff notes version of the book. So you have to read the whole book. You read the black boxes, get the cliff notes. And the first book, the first box, I remember it said, if you're the player who's had everyone your whole life tell you, you need to learn how to relax, but no one's told you how this book is for you. And I'm like, that's me to a T. Next box, you have to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance. The number one way to be in control of yourself is to breathe as part of your pre-pitch routine. And I'm like, that hit me. So I buy the book. I make my friend drive my car back to Vermont for three hours. I read the book in the car. I don't own a laptop. I walk into the library at the University of Vermont and I'm email Dr. Ken Revisa, who wrote the book, who's a professor of sports psychology at Cal State Fullerton. And I said, I love this book. I want to get a master's degree because I want to be a high school athletic director, football, baseball coach, and PE teacher. And I think that this would help me be a better coach. Do you have a master's in this? And oh, by the way, I also want to be a college baseball coach and you're at Cal State Fullerton, one of the top programs in the country. Is there any way I can get involved with that team? <laughs> three, weeks la- three weeks later, man, I get a handwritten letter back because he didn't do email. He, did, he checked email. He didn't respond to it. And it was like, Brian, hey, I'm from Connecticut. We'd love to have a guy from Vermont, another New England guy out here at Cal State Fullerton, but you got to fly out and do a visit. So I fly to Cal State Fullerton in November now over Thanksgiving break. So literally, it's 2000. How about this? 20 years ago, like this week, Mark, whereas we're recording this, it's two days before Thanksgiving. 20 years ago this week, I had a break from college. I fly to Cal State Fullerton. I'm supposed to stay with one of the grad students at Fullerton. He gets food poisoning. So Ken Revisa is like, well, you're going to stay with me. So I go to his house. He's like, well, uh, I'm going to have a guest room, but we'll put you on the couch down here in the, in, the, in the downstairs living room, right next to his office. We walk into his office called The Bunker, and it's wall-to-wall books on mental performance, VHS tapes back at the time, Olympic medals, like championship rings. I mean, just kind of a hall of fame of sports psychology. You go over to the fax machine, right? Jim Abbott, the one-handed pitcher who, who used to pitch for the Yankees, he threw a no-hitter for the Yankees, like a week before on the fax machine in his office, there's a feedback sheet that Jim Abbott had faxed to him. That was a basically feedback from my no hitter. Here's what I experienced. Here's what went well. Here's what I want to do better. Here's my, how I recognize my signal lights. Here's how I went one pitch at a time. And I'm sitting there. I got goosebumps even telling the story right now going, that's Jim Abbott. And then LSU had just won the college baseball national championship like the year before. And he's got a picture with him and Skip Bertman, who's the coach at LSU, who was one of like the three people on the planet I wanted to have dinner with at the time. So I'm like, this is the place I got to be. I go to Cal State Fullerton, still wanting to be a high school phys ed teacher, football, baseball, basketball coach AD. And when I get there, 
I think I want to be a college baseball coach. What I find out real quick is that what I've always loved about athletics wasn't necessarily how to throw a football, how to shoot a free throw, how to put down a bunt or throw a curveball, but who you become in that journey of competitive athletics, what you learn about yourself, what you learn about success in life. And it tied back to my high school football coach, John Allen, and Ken Revisa invested in me. So I was a grad student of his. I got my master's in sports psychology. Uh, that's 2003. I'm a grad assistant coach with the Fullerton baseball team. So I was in the perfect learning environment. Classroom with Ken Revisa. Follow, walk, be in his shadow when he's working with UCLA softball, UCLA volleyball, USC football, the Angels, Fullerton baseball, Long Beach baseball. He's uh, Michael Powell, who, who hold, he did hold, he may still, the world record for the long jump. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He jumped almost a first down. It was like 29 feet, 10 inches. Michael Powell was the assistant track coach at Cal State Fullerton. We're in class one day. Ken Revisa three-hour graduate school class. He goes, hey, Michael, Michael. Michael was like walking in the hallway. Comes in, Michael, sit down, talk to my class. Three hours later, Michael Powell was still talking about the one jump that won him the world record. His process, his training, his preparation, the whole thing. And that was an everyday occurrence, Mark. Every day there was a different athlete coming in there, you know, whether it was a pro baseball player, a world champion, Ironman athlete, anybody. So you never knew who was going to come in every day. It was like going in, it was like Christmas every day with Ken Revisa. And, you know, fast forward to 2018, uh, Ken Revisa unfortunately passes of, of a heart attack. I now have his face tattooed on my heart. He's the first person I called when I proposed to my wife. I asked him to be the best man of my wedding. Uh, I'll probably name my first son, Ken. And here we are. Wow, man. And I didn't want to stop you there. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from Jim Rohn. It's not what you get from it. It's who you become by it. And I, that's kind of the thread that I want to stay on with you because you've given us so much there in your whole story. Uh, and I want to stay along the thread of consistency um, and inflection points in your life. So I want you to continue the story and talk a little bit about maybe p perhaps some inflection points or hardships that you went along the way to make you even a better uh, mental coach along the way. Does anything come to mind as, as to being so close to you for several years, Brian, I've come to understand like some things that you've gone through and I want you to share those because uh, they've made you more authentic and even a better coach. Uh, what comes to mind? Yeah. I mean, I could probably go back to when I was in college and I remember, you know, the first time I failed that like high school athletics was easy, right? I mean, it, 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 that's most athletes who go play in division one college sports, high school athletics are easy for them. They never really fail. So we all fail at some point. And for guys who are playing at the level that you're at, Mark, like you might, there's athletes who get to major league baseball and still haven't failed. And then they fail for the first time there. So whenever you fail for the first time, you have to have something to go to. And that's probably the biggest thing I took away from Ken Revisa was failure is positive feedback, have something to go to. I remember my fall freshman year, like I literally had a nervous breakdown in college because for the first time ever I was failing and, and I couldn't get anybody out. And I, and I wasn't, you know, the big dog on campus. I was a small cat on campus. And for the first time, I didn't know what to do, you know, and I, and I was totally lost. I was had, I had fallen victim to athlete identity, which is very real where you see yourself worth tied into your your performance as an athlete. A lot of people go through it and I lived it. And then I had then, so that was difficult. I remember having like a nervous breakdown and one of my, one of my uh, friends who was on the soccer team was like, you need to go talk to our sports psychologist. Like you got to get it together. 
So I started to work with one in college named Sheila Stowinski. And that was also a pivotal point in my life where I'm like, wow, this is something that's really beneficial. I want to do more of this. Why isn't this mainstream and everyone use this? Why is this such a reactive field instead of a proactive field? Like why are, why are we only going to see the sports psychologist when things are wrong instead of going them to develop some skill to prevent the things from going wrong? So that was pivotal. My shoulder surgery, my junior year, where I, where I really basically at that point realized I'm not playing major league baseball. I better figure out what I want to do with my life. My GPA went from like a two, eight to a 4.0 because I just channeled my focus from baseball into academics. Another pivotal point, I think for me, I became a high school athletic director after I graduated from Cal state Fullerton. And when you're 24 years old, you're a high school athletic director, you're responsible for 900 student athletes. You're responsible for, you know, a hundred coaches you, you, you don't necessarily know what you're doing. Um, you're learning by fire. And I became very sedentary, you know, and I sat behind a desk. I would work from what, 6 a.m. until 10 o'clock at night. I would be at a desk and I just let myself go. I stopped exercising. I, I didn't have any nutrition plan, which I never had to have one because I was always moving. And I ended up getting to 240 pounds. And 44 inch waist. And I remember Dr. Declan Connolly, rest in peace, passed away in February of, of this year. Um, my mentor at the University of Vermont, he was an exercise physiologist with the New York Rangers, well-respected exercise physiologist. I asked him to come up and speak at our school to our coaches and athletes. And he goes, and he was Irish guy. I said, Mr. Kane, I'll come up and speak at your school, but I'm going to bring up my bike and we're going to go, go for a ride around that lake up there by your school, Lake Memphremagog, Newport, Vermont, beautiful place. So he comes up with his bike and I'm like, holy shit, I haven't rode a bike in years. This is going to be painful. We go out three miles in, Mark. I got to pull over. I'm like, doc, like, I feel like my heart rate's at 180. And he pulls up beside me and says, Mr. Kane, I got news for you. You want to work in professional athletics? You want to you be a respected authority in mental performance? He goes, if you don't look the part and you're not living the lifestyle, you're just blowing smoke. He goes, people are going to laugh you out of the room. He goes, you might have an impact to these high schoolers who don't know any different, but he goes, if you get around elite athletes, they're not even going to listen to you because when you walk into the room, they're going to go, who is this guy? You're like the fat, you're like the fat doctor who smokes. You're the poor financial planner right now, Mr. Kane. He's like, leaders aren't fat. You got to get your shit together. And it completely changed the trajectory of my life because somebody was finally honest, right? They weren't kissing your ass anymore. And he said, look, you got to tighten up. He goes, you're not, you got to pass the look test, man. When you go walking in, there's an edge that comes in before you open that door, right? There's an energy that's given off before you ever open your mouth. And I said, okay, well, I need your help. And I think that's one of the, one of, one of the biggest things that we learn as we grow as men and as people is you have to ask for help. You have to be, you have to have the humble confidence, the humility to know you don't have all the answers, but the confidence to know that you can find the answer if you ask the right questions. And I went on, I basically started to do a program I called eating on the odds. I would, I would have like 2000 calories a day and try to burn 3,500 and be at a deficit of 1500. And, uh, you know, I would, I would eat seven, nine, 11, one, three, five, and seven. And I would eat the same thing, same day for like a year, year and a half, two years. And I got down to, you know, from 240 to like 185, 190, fluctuated probably between 190 and 205. And then, um, you know, I, I felt like, like most people with weight loss is you're in and out, right? Because it's a, it's a goal and you hit the goal instead of it being a lifestyle. 
And I think that's the biggest, one of the biggest things I've learned, you know, as I was supposed to be competing in Ironman, Arizona two days ago, but 12 days ago, they canceled it. So I'm 15 weeks into a training program, right? Three swim, three bike, three run, two lift, two yoga every week for 15 weeks. How do you stay involved? Sorry not to cut yeah, you off because you're on something here. How do you stay involved? Right. You get that news. There's no more, there's no yeah. more race. What, what yeah. do you do? What do I do? I probably take about 30 seconds and say, shit, all that work. And then real quick, I reframe and go, you know what? Pfft, hell, I wasn't training for an Ironman anyway. I'm training for life. Bang. You know, at this point I'm training for life, not an Ironman. Bang. Right. And, and I, and I feel for the first people who it was their first Ironman, my friend, Ellie Cooper, who I had as an athlete like yourself at Florida state, she was a softball player there. It was her first Ironman. So she bought a bike. She learned how to swim. I mean, the whole, she, she changed jobs. Her whole lifestyle was revolved around wanting to be an Ironman. And I probably would affect me more if it was my first race because you put so much into it. And even though I put as much into it now, it's at this point, it's just lifestyle for me. It's just what I like to do. You know, I'm not training for a race. I'm training for life. And when I say I'm training for life, the reason why I exercise is connection with other people because I do it with other people, energy for myself to be able to be better serve people. I love to wake up and sweat before screens because I feel like the rest of the day, I'm a better human being. I got better patience. I got better energy. I got better focus. Um, and when I don't sweat, right. When I don't work out for two or three days, I don't like who I am. I'm bitter. I'm, I'm on edge. I'm less focused. I'm less positive. I'm less motivated. So for me, my number one, what I call keystone habit, right? The keystone is the stone that holds the arch together. We all have to identify and have the awareness to know what our keystone habits are. For me, my keystone habit sweat before screens. However, I know this, if I reverse engineer that, if I'm going to get up early in the morning at 5am and work out in the morning, I have to be in bed sometime around 8pm. So even though I want to be elite in the morning and take control of my morning and play offense by getting up early and getting after it, that means I got to go to bed early. Because if I'm going to bed at 10, 11 o'clock at night, getting up at five is a challenge. If I go to bed at eight o'clock, staying in bed until five is a challenge. I want to get up and dominate the day. So you know, I think there's that, that, that's how I processed that was just basically going, Hey, I'm not training for race. I'm training for life. There's, there's an article that came out in the New York times several years ago. It's called the Zen of weightlifting. And it talks, it has something to do with weightlifting, but it has more to do with these three things. It's belonging, auto autonomy, and mastery. And you talk about, I work out because of the connection, because of the belonging, right. Of, of, of like-minded people that are chasing the same pursuit. Then you mm -hmm. said energy for self right? Bang. You hit the second one autonomy. You're doing it to see how I feel better on myself and I'm more patient with others. And then there's a mastery side of it, right? Race or not. It is about that improvement. We're activated by having a name rather one of the coolest things, Brian, that you brought up in both of your answers so far is the power of the single idea, whether it was Ken Revisa, whether it was Dr. Connolly saying you had a snap into shape, yeah. right? Everything that's happened in your life is something that pushed the rock and started it in, 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 in a momentous way. One of the things that is really transparent and coming through is, is the consistency you have. And you talked about sweat before screens. Can you elaborate on that? And is there any other rituals that you do uh, every single day or every single week um, to stay on top of, of your goals? My, my entire life is a system. And my whole entire life is a process. I've basically turned my life over to a process because I have to make less decisions. I've made my decisions ahead of time. And I use the story of, um, oh God, who is it? It's a Greek, myth, a Greek mythology. And it's about this, this 
sailor and the sailor is coming in and he knows that these sirens, right? The sirens are these beautiful women who sing this beautiful song on a, on a uh, shore uh, near on like an island. And these sailors would sail in close because they want to hear the beautiful song of the sirens and the ship would get stuck on the rocks. The women, the sirens would turn into demons, go on the boat, kill everybody, take all their gold, burn their boat, sink the ship and the next ship would come in. So this, this sailor and the name is escaping me right now, unfortunately, but the name of the, sa the sailor, he said, okay, I know about the sirens. I want to hear the song, but I don't want my ship to get, to get destroyed. It's called pre-commitment pre-commitment. I know the challenge and I'm going to be strategic about how I handle the challenge. So what he would do is he took wax and he took cotton and he plugged all the ears of his sailors and he tied himself to the top of this mass. And as he tied himself to the mass on the top of the boat, he could hear the sirens. He could see the sirens, right? There's beautiful women in their song. And he's screaming to his men down below, go closer, go closer. But they couldn't hear him and they couldn't hear the sirens. So they got close enough and they said, Hey, we got to get out of here. This is Rocky. And they took off. So he was able, because he made pre-commitment to, to handle the adversity, see the beauty, but not get so far in that he killed himself and all of his men because he got stuck wow. on the shore, right? So for me, Glick, turning my life over to a process is about betterment. It's about systematic routine and being intentional about the development that I'm looking for to, so I can be my best, so I can give my best to others. And routines would be, for example, on a weekly routine. Now in the pandemic, I do all my coaching basically from, let's call it 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. on Monday, 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. on Tuesday, 30-minute blocks, about 24 of them on Monday, 24 of them on Tuesday. And then I go to bed at 8, I get up at 5. When I get up at 5, my routine is the first 15 minutes, 5 to 5.15, is just wake up and like get a coffee and get moving, get dressed. But even within that, there's routine. I have my vitamins in the same place next to my sink. I put my clothes out underneath my vitamins the night before. So I wake up and that process is as quick as it can be. I take yoga toes and I stick the yoga toes inside of my feet so that I start to stretch those out a little bit. I get a coffee. I come into my desk. I sit down at my desk. I grab my journal. I got 15 minutes of journal time, my routine for journaling, right? Every day it's the same. I write down what I call an after action review. What do I got to start? What do I got to stop? What do I got to continue? Short bullet points. I then write down three wins based off of research from a book called Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg, where he recommends celebration and identifying your wins as a way to feed yourself from productivity and positivity. I then write down three gratitudes, which I picked up from a book called Gratitude Works by a researcher, Robert Emmons, who says that, you know, if the more you express gratitude, the more resilient you become. And we all need to be more resilient during this pandemic. I then write down my one word focus or what I would call one word brand. And for the listeners, this might be their one takeaway is pick a one word brand, one word that from now until the end of the year, or now in the next 90 days, anyone who interacts with you, your children, your spouse, your team, what do you want them to say about you? How do they want, how do you want to come across to them? And for me, my one word right now is discipline. So I write that down. Right? I just write the word discipline. And then I write down my MIT, which is my most important task for the day, which today was coaching. Then I take notes on success hotline from our friend, Dr. Rob Gilbert, which I've been calling since March of 06. That one day changed my life hearing him speak. And then I write down notes from the Daily Stoic. I do that from 5.15 to 5.30. I, then I do the daily calm on my phone from 5.30 to about 5.45. I then go into my home gym. I do soft tissue work 5.45 to 6. Then I have a workout block from 6 to 8. I take a quick shower, and then I'm on my, let's call it 6 to 7.45. And then I take a shower. I grab a protein shake. I'm sitting on my desk for 8 
and we rock and roll. Now that morning, what I call power hour, five to six, working on myself. I break my day into blocks. Five to six is working on me. Six to eight is working on my energy, my health, and my fitness. Monday and Tuesday, eight to eight is serving others, and I go to bed at eight. Wednesday, same morning process. First hour is into me, power hour. Second two hours are energizing, working out. And then I go into what I call clearing to neutral. And clearing to neutral for me from eight to noon is handling all the messages and things coming my way. So I don't check email. Uh, I don't, I don't check social media. I don't answer phone calls. I hardly even check text messages on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, I do the administrative dig out from, from eight until about noon. And if I have a checklist, literally I print the checklist and I put the checklist next to me on my desk and I go through in order and I check off all the things that I need to do as a part of that clearing to neutral routine. So I don't have to think about it. I write it down one time and then I check the boxes as I do it. Things like check my Twitter direct messages, right? Answer all my voice voicemails, check all my messages in Slack, uh, make sure my calendar is organized for the next week, get my email inbox to zero, make sure I have my food prep. I mean, there's a lot of other things on there, but th th you get the idea. So then on Wednesday, you're right, I'm done at noon. And then from noon, on Wednesday until like noon on Sunday, I'm untouchable. I don't answer phone. I don't answer text. I don't answer email. I don't do Zoom calls. I don't do coaching. I hardly even talk to my friends. I'm investing into myself, learning to play golf. I'm working on new products and book writing. I'm doing what I call deep work. One of my favorite books by Cal Newport. I create those blocks of deep work for myself, create love blocks. I invest time with my wife. Um, you know, and I mean, I'll, I'll scan email and text to see if there's anything that's urgent for one of my clients who might need something like someone who's got a UFC fight that weekend or uh, an athlete who's competing to, you know, get to the Olympics in Lake Placid. Like there's always something going on. So I want to be available, but selective availability. And I probably put less than an hour into anything outside of myself on that Wednesday to Sunday. Now, granted, we don't have children. So, you know, that would be different if we did. Um, and then on Sunday, I do another administrative dig out from like 12 until four. And then I prep myself from like four until eight for the next week. I go to bed and rinse and repeat. That's been my pandemic routine. It's been tremendous. I absolutely love it. And and for people listening to right there, I uh, was probably trying to drink out of a fire hose. That was probably <laughs> what it was like. So let me ask you questions in, inside sure. of what you gave us there. Um, how hard was it or easy was it for you to set up the pre-commitment to, for you to set up that kind of a schedule? Is this something that happened overnight for you or was that kind of a slow rollout? Uh, I came to the name. The name is the Odysseus. Odysseus is the gentleman who, who, who had the ship. Um, the pre-commitment to me has been something that I have constantly been working on. I feel like I'm always evolving, right? We've never, we're never, we've never became, we're always evolving. We're always growing. And to me, it's something that's a constant tweak and constant adjustment. And, it's, there's times where it's hard and there's times where it's easy. I know this. I know I'm better when I create structure in my life so that I don't have to make constant decisions. There's a, there's a lot of research that's been put into a thing called decision fatigue. It's why mm -hmm. I only wear black click. I wear black only because what am I going to wear today? Black. I don't have to make a decision, right? I eat the same food pretty much all the time every day. Why? So I don't have to make a decision about food because if I make wrong decisions about food consistently, I'll start climbing back up to 240 and not be the 179 pound uh, person that I am today who I feel like has got energy to go all day, do whatever, whenever, you know? So, um, uh, it's to me, it's, to me, it's, it has it been hard to, to get to that level of pre-commitment and structure. 
Yes. But once I'm there, it's not nearly as hard as it is when I don't have it. When I don't have that structure, it becomes hard because I get exhausted by having to make decisions about what am I going to do? And then I get pissed at myself because I just waste time doing things that are low value instead of doing high priority tasks that I want to do that are going to impact myself and the people who are around me and the people I get to serve on a daily basis. And that was my second question inside pre-commitment is, uh, kind of what do you do when life gets in the way and how did you prioritize that when you were setting up your pre-commitment schedule? How, what did you, what was your thinking process there? Well, the, to me, the pre-commitment is, is almost a, a proactive way to not let life get in the way. Right. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes like when I was a high school athletic director, life got in the way a lot because you have 90 people who are pulling at you right now as an entrepreneur, I intentionally keep a very small team in a very tight circle. So I don't have people that are pulling at me as much. I still have a lot, but not nearly as much as I have in the past, you know? So I think what the, what the, what the pre-commitment and the schedule and the routines do is they allow you to play offense. And even when you're playing offense, whether it's in lacrosse or in football, sometimes you got to call an audible, right? And that's what I do often is I compensate and adjust. As Ken Revisa used to share with me, he'd say, be really routine and structure, but what trumps routine and structure is your ability to compensate and adjust. You have to be able to adapt and adjust or compensate and adjust based off of, life, of what life throws you. So even though I, I, I give, I assign every minute a task, something I learned from a mutual friend of ours, Jonathan Falcone, who was a lacrosse goalie at Yale, now works in the U.S. Navy. You know, he said, he said on a podcast we did together, give every minute a task. And, and I've, always, I've done that. And I believe that's a very um, structured and, and focused way to live. I also, I also will abandon that if I need to. You know, I'm not, I'm not married to it in the sense of, I think some people, when they create routines, like if they get out of routines, they freak out. If I get out of routines, I often just go, okay, let me attack what I need to attack outside of this routine and get back to it when I can. Yeah. Jocko Willink, who I'm sure you're aware of, right? Navy right. SEAL commander, author of the book, Extreme Ownership. Jocko calls it turbo mode, right? He's like, if I get out of, if I get three, four days behind work-wise, he goes, I will just lock it down and I will work 12, 14, 16, 18 hour days, three, four, five of them in a row to get back on top and play offense. And then I slip back into my ideal daily routine. Thank you so much for going through that, you know, because that gives uh, the listeners uh, more digestible. And I think like uh, what I really wanted to make sure we highlighted there is although the structure and, and routine can sound rigid and not fun and enjoyable, I want them the listeners to understand that like inside that kind of structure and extreme ownership inside your life, it makes it more fun. It, it, right. Jocko really Total. does that, that extreme ownership to say uh, the dichotomy of freedom versus discipline. And if you're more disciplined, you actually have more freedom to have more fun and to have more joy in your life. So that, that was huge. So switching gears a little bit, uh, you worked with such uh, finely conditioned athletes and in so many different realms. And I promise you, I will not get offended. Uh, but I have two questions on top of each other. What's your favorite sport or, or type of athlete to work with? And then could you translate that into baseball? Cause I know you have such deep seated roots in baseball. Sure. It got you into the game. So what's your favorite sport or athlete to work with? And then talk about your love for baseball for a little bit. Favorite sport and athlete I work with is the one I'm with in the moment. Love it. And it's, and, and I say that because it is true and I have learned to be that way. And I think if you want to be successful in this 
or anything, you have to be that way. You have to make the big time where you are. And there is no step up. The step up is what you do every day. So I don't treat a UFC champion, George St. Pierre, or a Heisman Trophy winner, Kyler Murray, any different than I do the nine-year-old Luke Bernstein, who's calling me from Staten Island, New York, who wants to be a great Little League baseball player. To me, if someone is sitting down and giving me a time and a portion of their life, I need to be at my best. I need to be present. I need to help them create a process to take them from where they are to where they want to be. And that presence is huge. Huge. You have to be where your feet are. You have to be present. Look, the greatest gift you can give is your presence. Right? Yesterday is history. Tomorrow's a mystery. Today's a gift. It's why we call it the present. And the best thing you can do is invest yourself in the present. It's why I used to have in my office, I had like pictures on the walls and things on my desk that were like, you know, motivational. But what I found was I was getting distracted. So you know what I have behind my, my computer right now? A white wall. Why? Because I want to see nothing other than what I'm doing in the moment right now, which is your podcast. And I, I think, you know, so, so my answer to that is who's your favorite team? I get to ask that a lot. Who's your favorite athlete you ever working with? The, this one. You know, what's the best podcast you've ever been on? This one. What's mm-hmm. the most important pitch in the baseball game? This one. What's the most important day in the history of your life, Mark? This one. Why? Because mm-hmm. you're living it. Yeah. And when you approach life that way, then be, there become no big moments. There are just moments. And how do you prepare for a national championship game at Yale? Well, the same way you prepare for the first game of the season, because every game is important. Every day is important. And I think when we talked about my love for baseball, I think it just comes from, comes from being, you know, it's, it's, it's what I've done my entire life. I wouldn't say I love baseball more than golf or lacrosse or football or hockey. I just think I'm better at it because they have more time in it. And I've been around it for so long. I have more experience to draw from. So I think I can add more value there because of those experiences and the people who I've been around, you know, I mean, it's where I got my start. So, um, I speak English much better than Spanish. It doesn't mean I don't love Spanish. I just love it. I just speak English better, you know? So I've had a lot of privilege working with 950 guys who've been drafted into professional baseball, um, signing award winners, David Price and Jake Arrieta, you know, this to past year with the Dodgers, two of their world series, you know, players who hit in the three and four hole, Justin Turner, I had at Cal state Fullerton, Max Muncie at Baylor. So it's always just exciting for me to be able to see those guys have success and, you know, have been a small part of that and just excited to see them keep growing and keep winning. Awesome. In, in your books, talks, and in your daily work, you, you have a, you have pillars for peak performance and, and mental mastery, uh, such as present moment focus, sailing the right ships and championship mindset. Uh, along those same pillars, for you personally, are, are there any specific core values or non-negotiables that you live by? I'm 100%. And, and I know you mentioned push the rock. So I want to point that out there, by the way. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, w- I would say that the core, the core values in my life is the acronym DELP. And I believe if you want to be successful as an individual in your life, or you want to be successful as an organization, and I talk about this in my you know, coaches certification program and my athletes program at briancane.com extensively, but you want to create what I call the MVP process. And the MVP process is mission, vision, and principles. And to keep it simple, mission is what do we want my gravestone? The vision is what do I want my resume? What do I want to do? What do I want to, what do I want to accomplish? And the principles are how do I need to behave in order to achieve that? So personally, my mission is to educate, empower, energize other people to be their best. So I was so excited to be on this podcast with you because together we get to do that. My vision are tangible and I have, I have long-term visions that I call telescope visions, things I want to do before I die. And I have microscope visions, which are like my 90-day visions. So I have, I have a goal-setting process I do for every 90 days and what I call the major three buckets of my life, energy, service, which most people would call work, and then family. 
So I've got specific goals in those three areas. Visions, goals, same thing. What do I want my resume? And then my core principles or core values, as you have, have referred to them as, would be the acronym DELP. Discipline, energy and excellence, love, present, process, productive. And I think when you're looking at creating a set of core values, I follow a, a simple five-step process. The first step is identify the values that you want to live by or the principles you want to live by. Step two is define them. So for example, my first core value discipline defined as having a plan and sticking to it. Love as defined as unconditionally giving of yourself and expecting nothing in return. Uh, excellence as defined as constantly working to become the best version of you. And I think when you define your core principles, it makes them tangible and you can easily, more easily communicate about them. It's like the, the college football coach who comes in and says, hey, we got to be a family. Well, you got a room of 120 people in there, some of which would jump on a grenade for their family, some of which would throw a grenade at their family. So you better define what family means for the people within that organization or for yourself in your own life. So the core principles DELP for me have, you know, I try to live in alignment with those every day. What I ought to do, I thought of this, and I'm glad you reminded me, is in my journal in the morning is just write down the acronym DELP, D-E-L-P, and, and just basically assess how did I live with discipline? Did I have a plan and stick to it? How was I with energy? You know, was I working to be the most healthy, uh, energetic, vibrant person that I can be? Was I committed to excellence, becoming the best I can in all areas? You know, did I have the discipline to have a plan and stick to it? Like all those different things that you reflect on, I think that's the big, one of the biggest pieces we're missing in performance is reflection. And if you think about a three-step cycle um, that I call the success cycle is prepare, perform, reflect. And as an athlete, Mark, as one of the top, you know, athletes and lacrosse players on the planet right now, you prepare your body and you prepare yourself to play in a game. You play the game. And then it's like, as soon as that game is done, we start preparing for the next one, right? If you look at Aaron Rodgers interview this weekend, the Packers lose a game. He prepares all week for the game. The Packers lose. What's he say in the post-game press conference? Well, we're on to Chicago, on to the next game. And it's like, we never press the pause button and reflect, but reflection is where awareness is created and awareness is the first step to all growth. So another thing that I think that listeners want to take out of this is, hey, press pause and reflect sometimes on your life. And here's my three questions for reflection. What do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? What do I got to continue? Another three questions for reflection. What am I doing well? What do I want to do better? How am I going to do it? Here's another three questions for reflection that I try to use on the golf course frequently. What was I trying to do? What happened? What's my next best move? And when you reflect using any of those three sets of any of those, those sets of questions, that allows you to build awareness, which then leads to more growth. You're awesome, man. That was awesome. Just rattling that off. I, I hope people slow it down or have a pen in hand when they're doing that. There's this TED talk that I, I slipped into mind the title of it for me, um, but it, it makes this pie chart uh, split into three things. Planning and execution are 98% of the pie. Only 2% is the, the is debrief, mm -hmm. right? You go, you spend all this time in, in the military, getting the plan in order, shipping out, go to the hot zone, and come back, you still, as tired as you might be, have to debrief. And that's the most yeah. important thing. So you understand what happened. This goes into, I want to ask you a personal question along those sure. same lines. One of the mentors that I work with is Dr. Brasari, um, who was a head sports psychologist for the NBA. And she and I often converse how an individual or a team's greatest strength is also their greatest weakness. So I want to turn that over to you is when you reflect, right? For a second. Um, what is that for you? What, what is something that 
you use to your advantage, but you also know it can be a weakness at times. Good question. Um, I mean, I would look at one thing, for example, exercise is one, like it's a strength for me and it's an advantage because it gets me, it gets me energized for the day. Yet sometimes if I have a long run and I got to go do a 20 mile run, I come back and I'm worthless essentially the rest of the day because I've taken it too far. (laughs) Another one, another one, Mark, as I reflect back would be alcohol, you know, and I think early in my sports psychology career, you go to a coach's clinic, you go out, have a couple beers with the coaches who are there, you're building a relationship, you're building rapport, you're building connection, but then really quickly your culture becomes every night I go out and have two to four beers, breaking it down with other people and two to four usually can turn into 24, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a slippery slope when you're using alcohol as a, as a connection with other people, or when you're using that as a way for you to unwind at the end of the day. So I think as much as that helped me early in my career to build connection, um, there's also times where it, it can derail you because you have a zero day because you go too hard and the next day you can't get anything done because you're hung over, you know, just being transparent and real. Um, so, I, you know, now my form of connection, I'd much rather go to bed early, wake up early and damn go exercise for three hours in the morning with somebody on a run instead of sit at a bar for three hours, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's, I, I think that's something that has been maybe a weakness and a strength. I mean, maybe the other thing is I, I, I wouldn't say that having a daily routine has been a weakness of mine because I know how bad it gets when I'm not in a routine. Sure. I know how unfocused I can be. I know how much I can get off the rails. And I just, I, you know, I don't like that version of Brian Kane. Yeah. Um, so, I, but I think, so, I think those, those, those could be it, you know, so, I mean, maybe the other one, I think the, I'll tell you the other one would be, would be, would be getting, pushing the envelope of what is possible and, being willing to make people uncomfortable and making people uncomfortable is essential because it's where they grow. But sometimes that can, sometimes that can be interpreted the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes media can take something and spin it the way that they want to spin it with something that's not entirely true. And then next thing you know, uh, you can't do anything about it, you know, because it's just, it's out of your control and it creates a life of its own. Um, so, but you can't stay safe. You can't play it safe all the time. If you play it safe all the time as a coach or as a mentor, and you don't push people in terms of challenging them to get out of their comfort zone into the growth zone, then you're not really serving other people. And I don't think you're going to be good for anybody. So the one, I think sometimes I, I, I don't want to say I push the envelope too far because I don't. Everything I do is calculated and thought out. But I think sometimes... Um, it doesn't maybe come across that way because sometimes in the delivery of something, like if I'm having somebody eat fire, which I'm sure you've done and seen when we were working together at Yale, like if I, if I, if I tell people, look, this is really easy. We're going to put a fire on the stick. When you put the, put it in your mouth and you close your mouth, the fire goes out. I've done it with nine-year-olds. It's no big deal here. Let me show you how easy this is. Boom. And you do it. But I can't, that's not going to impact somebody. I got to be like, look, this is the biggest challenge of your life. You got to be right. locked in. If you got a right. beard, you better tighten it up because it could get on fire. None of that's ever going to happen. <laughs> but you set the stage to make people sure. uncomfortable. So sure. when they accomplish it, they look back and go, holy shit, I accomplished that. I can do anything. Yeah. You know, you said something interesting. You know, you can't take that. There's two things I can't take back. Uh, the, the drawn sword and the spoken word, right? You said there's some things that take take life of their own, right? We are not always what we say, uh, but we are what we repeatedly do. And a lot of ways from a habit standpoint, a routine standpoint, for a listener um, who might be struggling, right? To to get on track, to to find his or her rudder, or or, or is currently stacking bad habits, like you were talking about the bad Brian Kane that you did not necessarily 
Like what's one or two pieces of advice you'd give for them right now? Go to bed earlier, wake up earlier, make your bed. It's the first thing they train you how to do when you want to become a Navy SEAL. Pick up the book, Make Your Bed by Admiral McRaven for more. And sweat before screens. Move your body, exercise. And it doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to be an Ironman or an Olympian, but you have to move. And even if that's literally going out and walking and taking time to create clarity around what you want and who you want to be, and then identify a one word core principle or a one word brand to help you to get there. So maybe you need to be more disciplined. Maybe you need to be more energized. Maybe you need to have more grace with yourself. Maybe you got to have more grit and dig a little bit deeper. Whatever it is for you, start small. And it's the compound effect, right? One penny a day, Mark, doubled every day is $10 million at the end of a 31-day month. One penny compounds into $10 million in a 31-day month. That is life. And it is the start that stops most people. So if you want to get started and you want to have time to yourself, it's got to happen early in the morning. It may happen late at night, but what, as I had a conversation with a former Yale athlete yesterday, who I'm working with one-on-one who's now working in, in Wall Street, he's like, man, I'm a night owl. I want to do some of these things at night. I'm like, well, what prevents you from doing it now? He's like, well, at night, I typically go out with and socialize with friends and we're doing different things. I go, well, then it, that's hard, right? One, once you go, are you going to work out? Or are you going to go to, as a 24-year-old single guy on Wall Street, are you going to go to the bar and hang out and meet other people, right? Like, if you want to take care of yourself, it's got to be in the morning before other people get up and start pulling at you, or the chances of you doing it are going to dramatically decrease. Okay. We don't want to have to use, we don't want to have to make decisions. We want to create a routine. So I think creating a routine, go to bed early, get up early, invest in yourself with exercise, create a one word focus, live in alignment with that one word focus, make your bed. Those are all places I think that people can start. The other one would be call success hotline. Call Dr. Rob Gilbert, who's a mentor for both of us, and listen for three minutes a day. Sometimes I call four or five times in a day. Call, call for three minutes a day and just listen to a guy who's been a professor of sports psychology and, and for 42 years and left a three-minute message on an answering machine since January 22nd, 1992, 10,000, like 890 days. Talk about consistency. Three minutes of positivity every day. I call it breakfast for my mind. I call in the morning when I do my journal. The phone number is 973 743-4690. That is probably the number one thing that I've ever done in my life in terms of helping me come closer to being the person I want to be is calling success hotline every day because the nuggets that he gives you consistently will transform your life. And I'd like to flip this podcast around Mark and ask you what difference is success hotline and Rob Gilbert made in your life? Oh, it, it just goes to show like what comes to mind is the, is the thought, uh, in the same way, we need a shower, we need motivation and inspiration every single day, uh, or else it leads to stinking thinking, right? I, I think uh, what gets a bad rap in terms of mental training is you don't need to do it as consistently as you do uh, your physical strength and conditioning, just because you can't see it, just because there's no aesthetic, just because you can't see the neuroplasticity that's happening with your new mind. By teaching uh, multiple times a week and speaking to him several times a day, uh, right, on, on most days, um, I'm constantly in that feedback loop of inspiration and motivation and it allows me to be better so that I'm better for others. Right. So when I talk about Dr. Rob Gilbert, there's not enough that I could say about him. And the fact that um, he's uh, a constant, constant 
accountability partner, but also giving me fuel because we love sports psychology and performance psychology. So um, all over that, I know you have to go soon. So I want to wrap it up with a few more questions. Okay. Staying along the same lines of struggle and overcoming adversity here um, and finding that spark. Um, what seems to be the most prevalent problems among the peak performers that you work with? Are there uh, I, issues that are seemingly common or, or what seems to be misunderstood by some of your athletes that, that you help course correct in terms of mental skills? I think they overvalue the outcome, undervalue the process. I think they talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. They say process and they say trust the process, but they don't have one. And unless that process is down on paper, like a checklist where you can say, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going about my business to close the gap from where I am to where I want to be. You're just talking the talk and that ain't going to work. So Oh, the, one of the first things I do with the athletes or clients I work with, whether it's athletics or corporate, is I say, show me your process, show it to me on paper, because once it's on paper, we can then tweak it, we can evaluate it, we can define it. And then once we have those in place and it's on paper, we can then put it into the minds and hearts of the people who we're working with or we're leading. So I think that's the, that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that you, that you can have it up here. It's got to be down here because then I can, then I can share it with people. Right. I, I can, can share it with people. I can send an article right now that, that uh, research proves that you're 33% more likely to achieve something once it's written down than formulated in your mind. I want to wrap up with a speed round and one final question. Let's so whatever, go. Whatever comes to mind, um, use that to finish the sentence that I say. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. I, Brian Kane, am most grateful for? The moment. My favorite quote right now is? Dominate the day. The book I recommend the most? Heads Up Baseball by Ken Revisa. It all comes down to? What you decide to do on a daily basis. What I know now that I wish I knew when I was first getting started out. Control what you can control. The rest is bullshit. Last question. You've studied and worked with some of the best in the world at his or her and their sport. Uh, when you reflect on a common theme among them, what do you believe greatness to be? How do you define greatness? Greatness is the constant pursuit of becoming the best you're capable of becoming. Similar to what John Wooden said when he defined success, which is the essentially the pursuit of becoming the best cap- version you're capable of becoming. It's not a comparison to anybody else. It's a comparison to the best version of you. I think the other common thing is obsession. Obsession with growth. Obsession with work obsession with wanting to uncover every stone possible to become the best I can be at what I'm doing. And I think that's the thing, Mark, that has been impressive about watching your career and your journey from Yale to where you are today is just the obsession with wanting more, the obsession with not, not wanting more from a material standpoint, but the obsession of wanting more for yourself so you can become more I think it's more of an obsession with becoming more so you can be a better teammate, so you can leave the world a better place, so you can inspire and motivate others, so you can take those gifts, work on them yourself, and then give those gifts away. And there's people who are obsessed with like running the sub two hour marathon. There's people who are obsessed with running a sub four minute mile. There's people who are obsessed with putting people on different planets. What are you obsessed with? And when you can mirror your obsession or your vocation, with what you love to do, 
right? I'm like mirror vacation in, in, in vocation. Like when I'm on vacation, I want to do the same exact thing I'm doing every day with my vocation. Like it is just a lifestyle. I am living in alignment with who I want to be and what I want to do. When I go on vacation, what do I want to do? Train, eat well, coach, love deeply. What do I want to do on a daily basis? Train, eat well, coach, and love deeply. Whether it's loving my wife, loving the people I'm working with, I want to live Delp on a daily basis. And if I can do that, I feel like when my head hits the pillow, I've won the day. I love you, Brian Ken. You're the, you are the man. Uh, Dr. Rob Gilbert um, describes that as a monomaniac with a mission. Don't be well-rounded, be sharp-edged. You're certainly uh, sharp-edged. And what I will say is uh, the story in which we first met, you walked into the room, um, I'm at Yale, and you asked us a question. Um, you wanted us to stand up and to sit down if we thought the mental game was 50% mental or less. And you kept going up and up and up and up to the point where um, I was the last one standing in that room. Um, you were at 98%. You looked at me curiously and you said, you really think it's 98% mental? And then our, our relationships blossom from there. Um, we're both advocates for, for mental health and mental training. I'm really grateful for our relationship and thanks for making the time. I look forward to uh, years ahead of dominating the day and, and, and helping the world. Yeah, Mark, I appreciate you having me, man. And, I, and I, I can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity to join you on your podcast. And for the listeners who are, if they're looking for more, they want to connect, you know, they can, they can find me on, at briancane.com. They can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Brian Kane Peak. And, you know, if I can do anything from a one-on-one -on -one coaching standpoint, or if anybody's interested as an athlete and getting into my 30-day athletes program or as a coach into my coach's certification program, they can get those at briancane.com. And, and I would love to be able to continue the conversation and continue to help other people to become the best version of themselves so I can live in alignment with the mission and how I want on my gravestone.